Church, let's pray this morning. God, I thank you so much for bringing us here today. God, it's about you. All of life is about you. I pray this morning for those of us that came to Church Project and we don't even know who God is, that you'd begin to reveal yourself to us today. For those of us that have come here and this is about the billionth time we've been in a gathering like this, I pray that this is a fresh anointing. Something that when we leave here today, we will say we have seen the face of our King. And we know for sure that it's about you and not about us. So God, in this place today, I pray that our eyes are opened, that our hearts are soft, and that you would move in every single one of our hearts. Show us who you are. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome to Church Project. We are very glad you're here. We go through and we study the Bible. We're going through Luke. Uh, we're, we're actually going to end the, sec- the 22nd chapter of Luke. Um, we've been in it for, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. And so I'm so excited to end the end of, of Luke 22. If you do not have a Bible, it's important to have in front of you. And so we have Bibles over on the, each lamp on each side. If you want to just hold your hand up, uh, we'll bring that to you. If you do not own a Bible, we would love this to be a, a gift for you to take home. We believe that this Bible is alive. We believe that it teaches us everything about life. And so we want to highlight that. We want to make it known in this place. And our hope is that you'll take the Bible that's sitting on your lap and throughout the week, you're going to open it up and let it just transform you. And so if you have your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 22. We're going to finish out. We're starting in verse 63 and we're going to go through 71. So Luke chapter 22 verses 63 through 71. Give you a few minutes to get there, a few seconds to get there, and then I will go ahead and read it. And if you don't have a Bible, you can just close your eyes and and listen to it as I read it. So Luke chapter 22, verses 63 through 71. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. And in verse 71, Then they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. If you're familiar with this passage, you know that it's leading up to the crucifixion of Christ. You know, the thing that we celebrate on Easter, it's not really about the bunny. It's it's about Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead. And as you know, we're, we're leading up to this point right now. In fact, we are less than six hours away from Jesus being crucified in this passage at this time. 
And so if you want to look back, you can begin to read back a little bit and see how even just a little bit ago, one of his disciples betrayed him in a garden. And you see the agony that Jesus is experiencing as he gets to this point. And if you even want to read ahead, you're going to see this wonderful story called the passion story of Christ and how he dies on the cross for us. But here's the reality as we sit in this room. It's a nice room, isn't it? Thank you, Dayspring, for letting us use this. Here's the reality as we sit in this room today. This scripture is not a light scripture. This passage is not a light passage. In fact, as we read this, there's a question we have to ask ourselves. Do you think Jesus was just a good teacher? Do you think Jesus was just a a, a guy that taught good morals? Do you think Jesus was just a guy that was a very powerful influence on the world, wrote a pretty good book? Do you, do you think this is who Jesus is? As we look at this passage right here, and we think about Jesus, what we think about his trial is what we think about him. What we think about what's going on with his trial right now is what we think about him. His trial that we're reading about is really our trial. This trial that we're reading about as Jesus is being put on trial really is about our trial. How is that? It's because who do you say Jesus is? This passage, you can't enter this passage and leave saying, oh, he's just uh, a good teacher. You can't enter this passage and just say, oh, he teaches good morals. You, you cannot because we are, in, we are face to face with the reality of who Jesus is. Just like they were saying, who are you, Jesus? He told them and they did not believe. So as we look at this passage, his trial is really our trial. Who do you say he is? Each of us, we're going to approach this differently. Some of us, we grew up in church. We knew this last song. I I really know this last song that we sang, this worship song. I grew up in a Baptist church singing it every Sunday night. Like, man, you just get going. Like, I grew up in church, and this is how I come to this place today with a lot of church experience. I've been to a lot of church camps, a lot of girlfriends at church camps. Okay, I, I have a lot of church history behind me. But some of us, we may not have that. Some of us, we may, we may be coming at it from a different angle. We may be coming at it from a different religion or just saying, I'm, I'm here exploring, seeing who God is. So as we come into this passage right now, we are all in the same pot. And the pot is, who do you say Jesus is? I've come to fall in love with this man named Jesus. I've come to fall in love with his word. And hence, we are here We want to know who Jesus is. So my prayer today is that you leave here today. And when you leave those doors, God has gripped your heart. Like you're more in love with this man who is in love with his creation. So who do you say that he is? Let's let's look at this passage and just kind of pick some things apart here and see what God may be showing us. So in verse 63 through 65, We see the men that were holding Jesus in custody, they were what? They were mocking him and they were beating him. In verse 64, they also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? Playing childish little games and mocking him. And in verse 65, and they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. What I think is interesting, and maybe you notice this as well, that these 
where the guards that were in charge, Jesus was put in their custody before he went to trial. They were there to protect him. And if, if, if you read as I do, he was guilty before he was even tried. These were the men that were put in charge to protect him. And what are they doing? They're beating him. They're mocking him. Here's a good illustration. Not even close to as impactful as what we're reading right here. But here's a good illustration. How many of you have kids? Okay. How, how many of you, when you introduce them to things like broccoli for the first time, they look at it and they're like, eh, haven't even tasted it. Like they've already judged that it's going to be disgusting before they even put it in their mouth. I do that all the time. I do. Presentation is the most important piece of, of food, like dinner. If it doesn't look good, I'm, I already don't like it. Like I've already judged it not good in my mind. Well, here we have the guards. And for some reason, they're, they're in charge. Jesus is put in their custody. And what are they doing? They are beating him. And they are mocking him. The, he is already guilty before he even went and had a trial. The ones that were there to protect him are beating him and mocking him. If you want to look at the synoptic gospels of, of Matthew and, and Mark right now and, and kind of read the paralleling stories that are, that are going there, Matthew and Mark say that they punched him. Literally, they were punching him, and they spit on him. And look at this. As they were uttering blasphemy, because blasphemy is nothing more than speaking out against God, and Jesus is there, God in the flesh. As they were uttering blasphemy, they were unaware that they were actually fulfilling prophecy. This, this had to come about. I mean, look, look back. Think back to Luke chapter 18, verse 32. And this is what it said. It said, he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and, and, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. So as they've already judged him guilty and they're spitting and they're mocking and they're beating him, they are actually prof- fulfilling prophecy that Jesus has already said. The guards' sin at this time prevented them from the significant moment that was right in front of them. And they're sitting there with Jesus, God, creator of everything. And they're completely blinded. And so if you get the same mental picture as I do, Jesus is standing there. He's dripping from spittle and blood. And prophecy is being fulfilled. And as Jesus stands there, spit dripping and blood dripping from him, after being beaten, after being mocked, his will was being done. But Aaron, that just, that doesn't sound too good. Church, don't let the present circumstances deprive you from the future God has for you. Church, God's will is being done as Jesus is sitting there and spit. His spittle and blood is just dripping from him. And that's the will of God. And that just doesn't seem beautiful, does it? That just doesn't seem awesome, does it? That seems like a very bad thing. And his will is being done. Life can get hard. Would you agree? Life can get so hard. And I don't know what you're going through today right now. I don't know what circumstances you're going through. I don't know what thoughts you're going through, emotions you're going through, hard things you're going through. Life can get hard, but church, look up and smile because God is bigger than that. 
His will is being done and being accomplished and we can trust our God for his life is is in us and his will is being played out in our life. So when you tomorrow morning wake up and you face that hard thing, you can know that you live because he lives and his will is being done in your life and he's gonna give you the strength to go through that hard thing, that hard thing you're going through right now. Jesus is bigger than that. I should get an amen for that because that's good. That's really good. And in essence, it brings to mind Romans 8, 37 through 39, a passage that can easily be misinterpreted, but let me read Romans 8, 37 and 39. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who saved us, who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things of the present or things to come, nor powers, nor heights, or depths, or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves us. He's chased after us. And we are his, period, done, end of game, end of story. So as life comes and the hard things come and as we wake up tomorrow and we find spit dropping from us and we, saw, and we find blood dropping from us, hold on and trust God no matter what is going on. Welcome to church. Welcome to this thing called Christian dumb. Welcome to this thing called being a follower of Christ. It's not always going to be easy and sometimes it's going to be very hard. And in those moments, you can read the book of James if you need to, to, to rethink this. But in those moments, God is using those hard times to purify us, to be more like him. And so we wake up tomorrow morning, church, and when we face that hard thing, we say, thank you, God, and I live because you live, and your will be done in me, regardless if it's spit and blood or smiles and happiness. God's will be done in our life. Let's get to verse 66. Go to his 50, uh, 66. When day came, notice that, when day came. There's already a lot of things that happened before daybreak. When day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, we'll stop right there. Church, uh, This is an unusual alliance right here because right now we have Sadducees and Pharisees all coming together who they don't really mix that well, by the way, during this time. They're all coming together and they're coming to this thing called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the official court for for Judaism. It's consisted of 71 members, 70 and then the high priest. And they're all coming together at this point and they're going to put Jesus on trial. But already as we begin to look at this story, the guards before this have said you're guilty and he's not on trial and now we get to see the whole court of everyone doing the exact same thing how can we say that well this court at this time was driven by the mishnah or the mishnah tract and this is the thing that guided them. This is the rules that they followed. This is what they did. And already to this point, can I tell you some things, six things that they've gone against, against their own Mishnah, the thing that drives them, the thing that, that keeps them on pace? Can I tell you six things already that they're going against their own law? So here it is. Number one, the uh, proceedings did not take place in the temple. And you can read 
some of the other gospels, and you can even read forward and see that the proceedings are taking place right now at this guy's house. They're not even taking place in the temple. That goes against the Mishnah. That goes against the rules. Number two, Jesus is allowed no defense. Number three, Jesus is not actually guilty of blasphemy, as we'll see here in a little bit. But they are, in a very real sense. Uh, Number four, the verdict. And we'll see as we even go forward in these passages. The verdict comes on the exact same day that he he was brought forth to them. And in the Mishnah, that's not allowed because two days are required for death sentence. They're supposed to give it two days to make sure that this person that we're going to send to death is actually worthy of going to death. Doesn't happen in this case. Number five, the trial is being held on a feast day. You never hold a trial on a feast day, yet for this case they do. Number six, the high priest is not supposed to issue a verdict. And we see as we read this story that the high priest issues the verdict. Jesus is guilty before he's even sent to a trial. Well, when I look at this, it puts a smile on my face. Knowing that even in this moment right here, against all the odds, Jesus was in control. He controlled the Jewish religious leaders, and God himself had granted him this hour of darkness. Look at, look at verse 53. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And so during this time, we see the power of darkness coming down. And we see rules being broken. We see people just doing stupid things. And guilty is Jesus before he's even tried. Why? Because this is the hour of darkness. And this is Satan's time to run free. And Jesus is even using this. So we see this in verse 66. Let's go to verse 67. And this is where I kind of want to land with the thrust of, of what we're talking about today. Who do you say Jesus is, church? Who, who is he to you? Have you in, investigated him? Who do you say that Jesus is? We look at verse 67. And they say, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. So notice there, they say, if you are the Christ, first title, you can, you can underline that in your Bible. It's okay to write in your Bible. It's okay. If you are the Christ, tell us. And they were not asking, were they? Or they, they asked this, requ- this question, but they didn't want a response. Um, they, they, they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. And they weren't asking. They were looking for a way to indict Jesus at this point. They're saying, give us ammo so we can call you guilty. And we do the same thing, church. We make God so small. Every day we go about our life and we're like, God, fit into my perfect box right here. Like, operate this way because I think you're supposed to operate this way. If you're Christ, tell me. And we make God so small. Church, he is Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. Christ and Messiah, these terms are synonymous. They both mean the anointed one. Messiah is the Hebrew word. And Christ is the Greek word. And they both mean the anointed one. 
And as these guards are there, and as these people are there, they're asking, are you the anointed one? And they're missing him from the very beginning. They didn't ask this question to get a response. They asked a question to find something to indict him with. We do the same thing. God, I know you told me to do this, but what about this? God, I know your word says to live this way, but what about this way? God, why don't you come down into this bite-sized box that feels good for me because I need you to be this small? Church, this week, my prayer is this, is that we will approach God every day this week. We will go about our life and we'll say, God, you are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. And may I align my life with you and may your will be done in my life, regardless of what it looks like. I don't want to hold you as a small God because you're the maker of everything that I know. Church, some of us may need to think of him again as our Christ and our Messiah, the anointed one. So it's verse 67, verse 68. Let's, let's look at verse 69. But from now on, the Son of Man, look at that, another title, Son of Man, you can underline that, shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. The Son of Man is a term that's both human and divine. The Son of Man is something that you see Jesus begins using as himself. He substitutes the personal pronoun I with this term, the Son of Man. The gospel sees this term right here used 82 instances. And mostly, it's from his own lips. Jesus says, I am the Son of Man. The Son of Man is how Jesus saw himself. And it's the proclamation that he gave to the world at large. I am the son of man. Well, why did he do this? It's prophecy again. I hope you see this in the Bible, that everything, God accomplishes everything for his will and his purpose. Because as he even says, I am the son of man, what is he doing? He's fulfilling the prophecy of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And this is what Daniel seven thirteen says. In my vision at night, I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. And I believe as Jesus was reading this as a young boy, he said, I am that son of man. And he adopted it and used it as his own title. This is beautiful. When you see how detailed Jesus is, how much prophecy is being fulfilled and why? So he could die a brutal death on the cross for us and give us hope and love. I want to point out also, though, if you do want to flip over to Daniel chapter 7, verse 14 is a beautiful verse. Daniel chapter 7 verse 14 says this, speaking of this son of man, speaking of this Jesus, speaking of this guy that they they're, have on trial right there. We come to verse 14 in church. This is where we get to jump up and cheer like, like our team just won the playoffs or Super Bowl or a game, okay? <laughs> Daniel chapter 7 verse 14 this is, tempor- this is not temporal. This is eternal. And he says this. He, who's he? The son of man was given authority 
Glory and sovereign power. All nations and all people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Amen, church? This is the son of man. This is the guy that is on trial right here. He says, I am the son of man. Church, what do you call him? Who do you say Jesus is? Go to verse 70 of Luke 22. Sorry, I got us going all throughout the Bible here. Luke 22, verse 70. So they all said, you are the son of God, then? Question mark. Hey, by the way, third title, son of God. You're the son of God then? And he said to them, you say that I am. Then he said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. So we see the third title. The title of verse 70 is Son of God. And notice, he simply quoted them and he let their statements stand without denying it. He, he just quotes them. And he lets them determine what they're going to judge him to be. Whose trial is it? Is it Jesus' trial or is it our trial? How do you respond when he asks these questions? How do you respond when his name comes up and these titles come up? They could take the answer that Jesus gave any way they wanted to. They could say, truly, we've seen it. I mean, we've seen the miracles. We know you are the son of God. You are the son of man. You are the Christ and the Messiah. Truly, you are. They had the opportunity to do that. But they weren't looking for that. He was guilty already. So they take his very words and they twist him, and they use that as ammunition against him. <laughs> God, the Son of Man, bore our sins on the cross. And church, that's why we have so much hope. It's because Jesus willfully went through the crucifixion for us. In the title of Son of Man or Son of God, we see full deity. He's fully God. And what sent this mob of religious leaders into an uproar was that he used this title. If you read other gospels, you see that these people then began to rip their cloaks. They began to literally pull their beards off of their face and they kept saying blasphemy. And it just turned into a mob of people going against God in flesh. And what's sad to me is when I read this, is they had every opportunity to give him praise. But they missed him. Standing right before him, they missed him. And they did the reverse. Church, Jesus. I want to give you that title, Jesus, that name right there. What we think of this trial and what we think of him, his trial is really our trial. And in this room, you're going to have to encounter today, who do you say he is? Is he just a good moral teacher? Or is he Christ, Messiah, Son of Man, Son of God? I want to leave us with some uh, great time to just kind of think and ponder. And as we think and ponder in this place, I want to give us Psalms 96, verses 11 through 13. 
I have found Jesus to be Christ, Son of Man. And we'll do that in a minute back there. But let me read Psalms 96, 11 through 13. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the earth in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is Christ. This is Messiah. This is the Son of Man. This is the Son of God. Who do you say he is? And as we contemplate on these verses and we listen to this song, this is a song put to this Bible verse. I would like you to just ask and ponder, what is God showing you in this place? Now we can, Seth. Thank you very much, sir.
Here's a reality for all of us in this room today. Regardless of who you say Jesus is, it doesn't diminish who he is. He is Christ, Messiah, Son of Man, and Son of God. The Bible is clear and says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. In this place, as we close out, I'm going to ask our band to come up. And I don't know about you, but when I'm encountered with who Jesus is, it causes me to worship. That's all I can do. Just say, God, thank you for who you are. May I be lost in you. May this life be about you. So as you're in this place today, maybe you're struggling with who God is. and Maybe you're struggling with things that are going on in your life right now. This is what we do when we encounter the face of our king. We say, God, it's about you and here's my life. Here's my circumstances. May this life not be about me, but be about you. And maybe for the first time in this place, some of us will say, God, here's my life. I've been living it for me and it's just not working out. It's clear that everything is going to rejoice and point to him. The trees of the forest, every human being, everything created will say, it's about you and you are king, Messiah, son of man, son of God. Can we say that about our own life today? As we go into worship, I'm going to ask you if you would just close your Bibles. If you're comfortable with it, just hold your hands out in front of you in a sign of submission saying, God, I receive anything you want to show me and I give you anything that's not in line with the way you want me to live. Like, here's my life. And in this place, as God is moving in our hearts, I pray that the Holy Spirit is moving in your mind and in your heart. And he's showing you things and he's encouraging you. He's showing you who he is. 
And church, we worship him in this place. We say, God, it's about you. So there's multiple ways this morning that as a body we can worship Christ, Messiah, Son of Man, Son of God. It may be sitting just in silence and praying. It may be standing and lifting our hands. It may be using our voice to just sing along in in these next moments of worship to him. It may be taking communion over on your back right. When you're ready, you just move over to the communion table and take a cracker that represents the body that was broken on our behalf and dip it in the grape juice that represents his blood that was spilled on our behalf and be thankful for that and do it in remembrance of what he's done for us and say, God, it's about you, not about me. Maybe another way to worship in this place is just by our tithes and offerings on on both sides. Maybe it's just sitting with someone and praying. Uh, Maybe it's going and getting your kid and coming back and worshiping as a family. But in this place, when we are folk, when we are encountered with the love of Christ, we say it's about you and may us, his church, worship him. So God, I ask that you reveal yourself to us and I ask that we in return worship you. In your name we pray.